Hey everyone, welcome to uh, episode three of the Evergreen Book Club. Uh, for those of you who made it this far, congratulations. Uh, thank you, and we're excited you're here. Uh, we recognize that this book can be challenging, um, and uh, but one other thing we've realized is that um, when you are taking in content like this book, it's really important. Uh, to be able to talk about it with other people, to be able to break it down beyond just the words in the book. And uh, we've been really thankful for the opportunity. We're excited to be able to do this together as a staff. We're excited to be able to present it to you. And um, today, uh, I'm back here with Laura Mail. What's up, Laura? Hey there. Uh, along uh, with Laura, we also have Kyle Ross Camp. Hi, Kyle. Hi, Adam. And joining us for the first time, uh, Jason Vermeulen. What is up, Pastor Jason? What's up, guys? Glad to be here. Yeah, man. Hey, so the last two recordings uh, we have done in person around a conference table, um, breaking it down together. Now, because of the um, quarantine requirements, uh, we are trying uh, to continue to produce the book club. Uh, we're just doing it. Uh, through Zoom. So uh, if it sounds a little different, sounds a little weird, thanks for hanging in there with us, man. We're, uh, we're ready to try new things to, to keep producing these things. Um, Jason, if you've listened um, through our book clubs in the past, you know that um, we start by asking what people have been reading and um, what the book is about. And so before you were into The Importance of Being Foolish by Brennan Manning, um, what have you been listening to? I know that Kyle mentioned that he had been listening to The Map Thief. I've been, uh, excuse me, not listening to, had been reading. What are you reading? Kyle had been reading a book called The Map Thief. Laura uh, had been uh, reading a book uh, called Addicted to Busy. I read a book called The Source. Uh, what have you been reading and what it's about? Yeah, so uh, my friend Chuck DeGroat, who actually spoke at Evergreen last summer once, um, wrote a book called When Narcissism Comes to Church. And so obviously it's about narcissism. And if I could kind of the, distill what it's down to, it comes down to, it's, it's about all of us. It's not just those crazy, ridiculous, grandiose narcissists, but uh, where is narcissism in all of us from a spectrum of healthy narcissism even to the kind of like the, the grandiose narcissist that we're familiar with and how does it show up? How do we show up even in our own narcissistic ways? How do we affect each other? And uh, I actually saw a little bit of things that correlated in some of the reading today. So I'm looking forward to diving in. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, man. We're glad you're here. It's nice to uh, be able to mix up the participants. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, we might as well, let's, let's just jump right in. Um, I think we were, we're in a section called diversions, uh, chapter three. Um, let's start with you, Laura, um, to you, what was the, what was the chapter uh, about? Well, a lot of it is about the things that are supposedly blocking us, I think, from being transparent to showing who Jesus is. Um, I'm struggling with a few of them that I don't necessarily agree with. I guess maybe um, when we start digging into the three pieces of um, security, pleasure, and power, um, I just wonder if what he really means is that it's the root of what it is that 
the we are striving for not the actual things just kind of like some of the things that can become sin in our lives aren't necessarily sinful um, but are good things it's just when they become the object that's when they become the sin and so i, I want to talk a little bit about that today too cool awesome how about you kyle what were some key takeaways for you well i think in the context of the what laura said i mean it makes sense to say that but i see in the first even the second chapter or the second page of the chapter um he so he initially like describes how um like the base of what we need to do as christians in order to be transparent like jesus was is to surrender to the mystery of the fire of the spirit that burns with him and he describes how jonah must be buried in the whale's belly and the alabaster jar of self must be broken if others are to perceive the sweet fragrance of Jesus, right? So when you think about that and you think about power, pleasure, security being the three things that keep you from it, he initially, like right away, almost describes how in the security part, how it's not about the, like the number of the, like the money that we seek to feel secure. It's not about the kind of security we seek, but more the amount of time, energy, thought, and attention we invest into those things. He even describes it as the unpleasant struggle to achieve the conditions we believe are indispensable for feeling secure. And that kind of is a way that he describes how all these three things, security, pleasure, and power, play into in the energy, the time, and the resources we use to care about those things more than we care about uh, surrendering to Jesus. Yeah, that's good. Jason, how about you? What were some key takeaways in this section? What Kyle said initially was kind of what I was, like, where my heart was drawn as well uh, initially. Yeah. I think two of the two questions at the beginning of the chapter are uh, of what saddened you and what made you happy. Um, I noticed that like I could very easily go into a space of um, I must be a really bad Christian. <laughs> uh, just if I just take those two questions. Um, and I wondered if you guys had felt the same way or, or not as you read those questions. Yeah, I, I think that's great. I, I think we can, I think you're right. I think we can jump right into this. If, with the way that this chapter opens up, um, it is, it, man, Brennan Manning in so much of his writing, particularly in this book, it, it, it feels like he's constantly slapping us in the face. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of reframing and reshaping that's going on. And, uh, and I thought this whole beginning, particularly with what, with what's going on in the world right now. Um, some of the securities that are changing for a lot of people. Um, yeah. I, I thought this was really appropriate. And so, um, yeah. And I think that it gets to the point, Laura's point of the question I have is, are we bad Christians? <laughs> you know, or are we just trying to convince ourselves that we're not? Um, and, and I think that is the, that becomes the key to the way he opens up this chapter to me. So, um, Laura, how did you take it in a way you took it in a way that's like, Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes. This is, these things can be bad, but not necessarily means we're bad Christians. What does that, what did that mean to you? Well, especially in that first page when I was talking about things that, that gladden you or make you happy. And he, he's kind of saying, are these things the things that bring you joy, like spending time with him or 
being able to just say his name and, and have that bring comfort? Um, or are your sources of joy a new car, a great date, you know, um, a raise, losing weight? Um, and I, I, I realize that God is a God who um, wants us to feel secure in him. And he has created things that are, that give us pleasure. Otherwise, I don't understand that I, that was a tension I had. I want to enjoy the things that he's given me, but is it just that I can enjoy those only if in response to him, like the recognizing that he's the one who is the giver of all these things. Mm -hmm. He's the one who gives us power. And, and if we, and if we use that power for his glory, I think the power is a good thing. There's people we need to have in power um, to be able to get some things done, right? Like there's, there's, so it's that tension between what is, what's the difference? Like, I don't know. I just, I don't want to be a person not filled with joy about the things that God has created. Like I'm, we're sitting inside today, but you can see in Kyle's window there, it's a beautiful sunshiny day outside. And I take pleasure in that. Now, is that like, that's where my tension is. And I think of like, even just sitting and watching a sunset, you know, that, that brings joy or here, we'll put it in a context that doesn't work for many of you in this room. <laughs> There's a beautiful snowy day outside. Yuck. I'm snowshoeing, <laughs> right? Um, but when I see that, it's the, the 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 point for me is more like God created this beautiful sunset for me to enjoy, or He created the ability for me to go outside and spend it in nature. I don't know. I like. Is that Kai? What do you think? Is that the attachment? I'm, that's the struggle piece I'm with, or I don't know. I know it felt more straightforward to me for some reason. I don't know. I didn't like struggle with it in the way that you guys are. I mean, I think it says in the security piece too, like the ability to achieve contentment and stability lies within us. It's not at the mercy of a whim or an unpredictable external force. What keeps me feeling insecure are my addictive emotional needs, which must always be satisfied. Like it's clear to me the delineation here between how the things, the ways that you're referring to pleasure, power, and stability are supplementing our own internal capability of providing a, like, contentment and stability inside of us, right? I think where the tension lies and what he's referring to mostly in here is when there's no, this, that's like the isolation, like the isolative part of the security. Like when we, like for me, like when I will only feel secure if I, own a house or like if I will only feel pleasure if I am like losing weight or feel good about my body or like have the food that I like to eat or that I will only feel content or only feel alive or only feel like a human being if I have the power that I desperately want for no other reason than to have the power, right? I don't think he's referring to these things in the context of like internally being a human being, but as separations from the things that we should actually be committing to focused on and engaged with. Well, and I, I, think, I think you're right, particularly because a lot of that was covered in the transparency section. If you look back on 38, um, you know, I'll take a couple of chunks. It says often our preoccupation with the three most basic human desires, security, pleasure, and power. Uh, is the cloak that covers transparency. They continually focus our attention on self and keep us from being transparent. And I think that that's the struggle, right? Is like, 
too often our pleasure is self-focused. It's about what do I need? What do I need? What do I want? And, um, you know, then he goes on in page 61 back into the diversion section. Uh, when we uh, cling to a miserable sense of security, uh, the possibility of transparency is utterly defeated. And um, yeah, I, I found I found that to be a tough, tough reality uh, for me. Yeah, the, the part where he, like I read before about like the kind of security, pleasure and power we seek is unimportant, right? Like it doesn't matter. I could, he's probably even saying here that the things that Laura is referring to as being healthy, like if those become the central focus of where your joy comes from, if you become addicted to the kind of joy you get from looking at a sunset without fully considering your humanity, your like desperation for the kind of like wholeness and understanding that the Lord can only provide, that is, he's like calling that out as unhealthy too. So I think the context, we sometimes put these things into different boxes, right? Like, oh, a sunset is a healthy pleasure. Oh, community is a healthy pleasure. But then, oh, substances are bad. Oh, food, eating is bad. Oh, being narcissistic in terms of your body image is bad. But I think he's removing all of those like chains from those things and saying, I don't care what the thing is, if you think it's healthy or not. What the unhealthy attitude about it is, is when you spend all the energy, effort, and resources you could spend on like doing actually positive things within yourself and surrendering to the Lord is spent being spent on things like that. And I think the example that I thought of when I read it was I never think of myself as selfish or materialistic because I live in an 800 square foot apartment and because I don't have the capacity to buy all the toys and the things that I want. But I was thinking while I was reading this, the amount of time and energy I spend trying to micromanage my future into being a person who can buy a house and can afford to buy toys and can afford to do the thing is insane. And I spend crazy hours on my computer at night, Googling interest rates, Googling ways I can figure out how to get to that next step. So I'm not any better because I haven't already bought all the toys and spent ridiculous amounts of money on things that don't matter. I'm no better than that person because I don't have them. It's the amount of energy in like effort we both spend and we both and we all take into making those things a reality for us so here's where like i totally agree with you and i think that was really actually well stated um i am realizing that i don't want to just say we as the church but we have really created setups that that allow people to have experiences and i don't know that we have done ourselves a, a, a good job or we've done ourselves a disservice by always thinking like when we take students on mission trips, we have this high that we come back with, right? After an experience like that. And we're assuming that that has to be achieved in order to be a good Christian. And I think what we've missed is the whole idea of, of discipline and um, taking those steps to do just that, put those checks and balances in place that kind of reorient us back to what's the real source. Um, I don't know. I just, that kind of resonated with me, Kyle, when you said that, and I'm not sure if it ties in there or not, but that's where it went. <laughs> well, it makes sense. He talks about that in the pleasure part too, about like mm -hmm. the spiritual manipulation of only wanting spiritual experience for the emotions that it brings you. It's kind of like that, 
like, and I'm, I'm going to make a lot of people angry when I say this, but this like new era of arena country music that has the same notes and the same like general themes that just try to make people think of the summer that they turned 17 and like the freedom that they felt in that space, right? It's like we're trying to create a spiritual version of that within like, oh man, everything's going to be okay. Oh man, like every, I have to love everyone or oh man, like everyone around me loves me. Like those are the spaces we try to create and those emotional experiences and separating that from what actually is real is it feels like in this space he's saying that's just as bad as not doing that at all. And that, I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't know what the response to that is or what the alternatives to that are, but what we've lost sight so much of what the real thing is that I can't distinguish that from like this emotional manipulation, this emotional targeting that we sometimes try to do. Yeah. That's so good. So, so yeah, yeah, go ahead, Jason. My computer was just glitching for a second, so I missed the very last little bit of that. Um, but it made me think of the, you might have even already read this, Kyle, a few minutes ago. Um, uh, but the, it says the hunger for security is mostly a matter of our emotional programming. And so, like, uh, when I think about Paul, when, you know, the over the overused verse, uh, the Tim Tebow verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It comes, it comes from Paul's context of suffering and being in prison and having been beaten for Christ. Um, a, a position that most of us, we consider ourselves highly insecure, right? We're not safe and secure in that moment necessarily. But Paul is managing to feel secure as much as, in as much as he's like secure in Christ within in that moment um and so i wonder like like that that's that's the inner security that i wrestle with is to like be secure in christ in the middle of whatever current reality is whether that's you know isolated at home or even when life is good and you know i'm feeling really connected and feeling really um you know, even when like life was normal, right? And, and things were mostly just good. Was my security in the fact that things were normal or was my security in Christ is enough? Yeah, it's like the, and it's so hard because in this weird space where it's like everyone probably in the world is like in the back of their head, am I gonna have a job in three months? <laughs> like, and what, what is the line between like healthily planning for your family and healthily processing through scenarios, options, and understandings of what would be next in a lot of different contexts. And like the line between that and where you just need to trust in the Lord to care and like supply and like provide. I don't, that's a hard thing. And I don't know if those thoughts are real or not real, but if those thoughts are, the things he's talking about or if the actual like <laughs> process of doing that and micromanaging it and trying really hard to make everything right if that's the case how do you guys how do you guys interact with like the the pleasure part because i think that was the hardest part for me like security and power it makes like more sense but i think in the in this world where he refers to like our constant need to almost be ushered into spaces and to not 
interact with hard questions and to like only want to be encouraged and lifted up and never wanted to be held to account or um, like have discipline. Like how did you guys experience that as human beings? Because I think it was hard for me to find out where those things interacted with my like spiritual life and with my like personal understanding of like carnal pleasures, I guess. That's a really good question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is all you, Laura. Oh, I think this is, that's kind of the main thing I've been struggling with with this whole chapter is, I don't know, like, <laughs> God created this place to be good, and I think he created it in a way for us to want to enjoy it. But how do we balance that with it not becoming a selfish crutch, maybe, that we keep turning to? That's a really hard question to answer, Kyle. I don't know that I have an answer. I think I struggle with the same thing. Do you think that God created good things for us to enjoy on their own, or do you think he created good things for us to enjoy and default back to him. And I, I honestly don't know the answer. I know there sounds like there's a right answer, but I honestly don't know. Like I'm, I'm really wondering that because I think that's what it kind of gets to, right? Is this idea of like, do good things are good things? Is this like a father saying like, check out this cool stuff I have for you? Um, or is this like a father saying, I made good stuff. So you're constantly reminded of my goodness. Yes, that is the that is the thing I struggle with the most. Like, am I allowed to go see something cool? I haven't seen something cool in a while. Um, like the Sleeping Bear Dunes. Am I allowed to go to Sleeping Bear Dunes and just be like, this looks incredible and be done? Is that like enough? Or is it, like, I don't really, I'm not really like concerned about this in practice, but like theoretically, do I need to every time something cool or good happens or I'm excited or I feel some sort of positive joy, Am I supposed to immediately turn that back to, oh, it's because God's faithfulness. And I can't tell whether he's saying that in here or not. Like, I can't tell if he's saying, get rid of all the, um, like, get rid of all the energy you're wasting on caring about things that don't matter. And if I, it's good enough just to care about the things that do matter. Or if I need to care about the do, things that do matter and. You know what I mean? Like, if there's a yes and, or if it's a absence of no. I don't know if that, like, description makes sense. Yeah. I think there's a tension for me that I've always, and I don't know if it's just because I'm older and live longer and I'm just having more experiences now, but I do realize that when I go, like when I go and I see a sunset, it used to just be like, this is so cool. But now I have a different perspective. And I don't know if that's because of my relationship with God that has grown, but I, I'm always telling my students to try and have eyes to see where God's at work during the day. And so I don't know if that's just God throwing reminders at me like, hey, and I created that for you. Or, or if that's not, I don't know. I, I think, or if it's my own inner guilt for loving something and not giving him credit for it. So a lot of this is reminding me of a couple of C.S. Lewis thoughts. Um, one would be, he, I forget which book it says, but he talks about, uh, that when we see or experience beauty, and I would say pleasure, he talks about sex too, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we, we long 
whenever we see us and I experience the same thing, right? Our, our honeymoon was to the Canadian Rockies and the beauty of that space. Um, there's a desire to be one with it. There's a desire to be like wrapped up in the beauty that we see. Um, and then all of this is reminding me where Adam's going with um, the whole quote that Brooke Fraser wrote a song about a number of years back. Um, uh, if, and Tom, Pastor Tom actually preached about this a couple of weeks ago. One of, the, one of the last times we had our services live. If I find a pleasure and something in this world uh, that if I find this longing, uh, that beauty even and pleasure drive me toward, but I still recognize this longing within, it's a reminder that ultimately I was made for another home or that ultimately there's, there's a God behind all this beauty. Um, and I can, but you can't like, I, I really do believe you can just enjoy the beauty for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard, I guess I still wrestle with the question underneath all, but I think that those ideas connect here. And I can't tell what the book is saying either. Like I, I can't tell which direction he's telling us to go. It, it, just, it almost felt a little bit to me like, and I, I've read enough of other Brendan Manning books to know maybe that, I don't know. What I was getting out of it was it almost felt like an old purity culture message. Like, <laughs> say no to drugs, say no to sex. and You know, like that, that sort of thing. But I felt like he was, that, I know Brennan enough to know that's not what he was trying to do. So, yeah, that, that's exactly how I experienced it too. I was like, I know he's not saying this. So how do I pull this other thing out of there? You know, and that's, I think, what I struggle with the most. But I think at the end, as he sums this all up, he he refers to uh, these desires. Um, and a lot of times when he refers to security, pleasure, and power, he puts the word desire before them. So mm -hmm. I think as we consider that, that's a helpful thing to mention. But he describes those things um, dimming the light within us and introducing unnecessary mental and emotional sufferings. And I think that makes a lot more sense to me in the context of what is making me suffer because I care about it so much that I shouldn't care about it so much. You know what I mean? That's and, a really good way to put it, Kyle. Yeah. And like, I think when I think about, and I think just Jason's and Laura's uh, thoughts on that, that kind of helped me try to bring this to a central point. I am coming to the realization in the past four minutes that maybe what it looks like to run away from those things and towards something else just means to understand what our place and all of it is. Like to sit on a beach in a sunset and say, oh, I am here, I am human, I'm incapable of like producing that sort of beauty, but I am like capable of providing ways and playing my part in making sure that the earth stays beautiful, whether that's in a like very conservationalist understanding of that phrase or whether it's a helping other people understand the beauty of this phrase. But like maybe all it means to appreciate those things for what I need to is me sitting down by myself after I'm in a room with a bunch of people I love and saying, Oh, I was created so I could have feelings like this. You know what I mean? I was created for this feeling and these feelings that I get when I eat some food that I like, or like those feelings are allowed to be valid, but I was created to have the feeling 
and not be addicted to the feeling. I don't know if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's true. So good. So he wraps up this whole section, right? The, this Once we wrap up page 79, um, we move to part two of the book. So he, part one, and I'm going to just actually look at it so I'm on the same page with everyone. Uh, part one all revolves around the way we live. And now I think it is important to realize that when he said the we in this, I think is Christians. So I don't think this is a non-Christian group of people. Like, I don't think he's writing to non-Christians and just trying to convince them to live this life and just fix everything and, and be, you know, kind of, I don't think it's this non-Christian purity culture thing. I think it's this, hey, you all say you're Christians, um, but let's evaluate a little bit the way we live. And is that really what's going on here? And uh, that's been really helpful for me. I mean, it's, it's been really challenging for me to say like, man, I've convinced myself that I'm a really good Christian um, because of all the wrong reasons. And, um, and how do I, how do I reshape or reframe my life, um, to live out God's true desires for, um, what he's doing through me. But the way that Brendan Manning wraps up this whole part one is this last paragraph on page 79. Um, he says the journey to transparency requires that we humbly acknowledge before God, uh, that we are inordinately preoccupied with security, pleasure, and power. It requires genuine compassion for others when we see them acting out their addictions and emotion-backed demands. It's our inner solidarity in darkness that reduces self-righteousness and irritability and makes compassion possible. The journey to transparency begins with an honest confrontation with the truth, which is not something we acquire, uh, but someone. How did you guys experience that, that kind of closing paragraph in this part? Really, really good. Uh, reminding of a, I was reminding me of a Chris Farley, an old Chris Farley bit. Uh, anyway, um, I think that the, um, I like where he ends at how understanding our own brokenness, like even like you just talking about you realizing your own brokenness, how le and I do too, <laughs> leading brokenness leads to humility and leads to compassion for others in their own brokenness. Because um, it's very easy for me to uh, just say, you guys, you got to quit acting out of your emotions and you got to let go of that addiction. Just stop it. And I've, just, I've seen so many pastors do that over the years. Is I've, even, I've even joked about with other friends about the just stop it chapel message in high school you know um yes god is calling us to uh let go of these three things but we have to start with realizing that we're just as broken in how we pursue those three things and in, it's the difference between telling people to stop certain things and inviting them to the better life and i think brennan over the years in all of his books has, has invited, and I think of Henry now until we quote Henry now in this chapter, there's always this attitude of compassionate invitation, a longing to see 
that comes out of a deep realization that I've been down these roads and I know that they don't lead to life. That that's what I love about this 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 paragraph. Yeah, there's a I mean you look at like the layout of the book, the part it's part one is called the way we live, part two is called the mind of Christ, and then part three is called the power of the cross. And like I would I would be upset if the end the end of the way we live part leading into the mind of Christ part, I would be sad if how I felt at the end of the way we live was good about myself and encouraged about the way I live and think yeah. and feel things and understanding yeah. that living in the space of like, man, I'm trash. I don't deserve any of this. It was frustrating at first, but now living into this posture of, okay, so what is this going to mean? Right. I forget in what other book it is, but, uh, Brennan Manning has another quote that says, it might be Beekner, I forget. Um, but one of them says, like, to live in grace means to acknowledge the um, the light and the dark. Um, and without the shadow side, um, I don't, or without the shadow side, you fail to understand who you are and what grace means. And I'm really thankful that we've gotten to take three weeks worth of talking to each other to acknowledge how big and massive and unovercomable the shadow side of it is. I think for me, it's been really good to sit in, start with myself and thinking through what I live through. But what I'm really excited about is moving into the mind of Christ, because I think that is what we are supposed to figure out, right? Like, how do I move from my desires to his desires? How do I move from the things that make me tick to the things that make him tick so that my desires are for the things that make him tick so that I want to share that with others? So. I'm excited to see what this next section is about, which will take me out of focusing on me and the way I do it all wrong <laughs> and moving to the, give me some answers. So yeah. I'm, I'm ready for net. I'm ready for section two. Yeah. One, one page away is like the thing that I was uh, introduced to this book by, which is like the favorite, my favorite four or five pages of books that might exist in the world. Mm-hmm. So I would love to talk about that right now, but I can't wait to talk about it whenever. <laughs> the next time that we talk about this is it's yeah. awesome. that's a heck of a setup i i think uh you know as i as i wrap up this section um for me i think you're right kyle to the man i'm glad the book doesn't end here <laughs> because that'd be that'd be a painful place for this book to end but um the line in that closing paragraph of part one that says um um it's our inner solidarity in darkness that reduces self-righteousness um, and irritability and makes compassion possible. Like, oh man, that's so good. That, I, I need that. Like I needed that. Um, I need to hear that. I need to be reminded of that. It's like, it's in our pain, in our brokenness, in our screw ups, in our failures. Like it's in, it's, it's this reminder that we are all together because that is all of us, right? It's not, we, we, we do, we work so hard to convince ourselves and other people that we don't live in that darkness, that we don't live in that brokenness, that, that, that sinfulness is not a part of us. Uh, we work so hard to fight against that. And it's so important for me to be reminded that our true solidarity comes in that space. Like the true unitedness that we have as human beings, as spiritual beings together, comes in our from our brokenness not from the not from our perfection or attempted perfection and 
Uh, that's just really encouraging to me. Um, thank you, uh, Jason and Kyle and Laura, uh, for sharing your thoughts, for being vulnerable in this space. Uh, I can't wait to be able to do this again next week <clears throat> when we jump into part two, uh, specifically uh, pages 83 through 97. And uh, just a, uh, again, I'll reiterate that Kyle pointed out that the next four pages, uh, 83, 84, 85, 86, um, uh, he suggested, am I quoting you right to say that are um, some of the best four pages of writing ever written? Um, it's 87, wait, hold on. 85 to 91 is I, if I had to like tattoo one section of any book to the insides of my eyelids, it would be that. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, I can't wait. I'm very interested. Yes. Cool. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. We'll look forward to doing this again uh, next time.